Well, hey guys, good morning. I always feel bad interrupting the chat, but please do keep chatting after the service. Please keep uh, chatting. We have a value here at Vintage that we're a community that feels like a loving family. Um, so please do uh, continue to love on one another after the service. So early this year, the New York Times reported the story of a guy called Stephen Thomas. Stephen Thomas is a programmer who lives in San Francisco. Uh, he, in 2011, helped out a friend of his by making a little short, simple video about the benefits of something which was totally unheard of and totally unproven in the world called Bitcoin. Um, because Stephen Thomas helped out his friend, his friend thought it would be nice to give him a small gift of appreciation, and so gave to Stephen Thomas in 2011 a small hard drive with a password-protected gift of 7,002 bitcoins. Uh, the story came to light earlier this year uh, because Stephen Thomas had sadly lost the, hard, the password to the hard drive, uh, and he was desperately, desperately trying to find out how to crack the code for Bitcoin. Um, the reason it made national news was because does anyone know what 7,002 Bitcoin are worth? About $300 million. Uh, pretty significant, right? Stephen Thomas had stumbled across an incredible life-changing investment which he was unable to realize the benefit of whatsoever. Uh, it said in the New York Times, one person suggested to Stephen, have you tried the word password? Um, he joked, some people have recommended various mediums, psychics, prophets that I could talk to. Some people are, are suggesting neurotrophic memory-enhancing drugs. I guess, though, we are all looking for things to invest our lives in, right? We're all looking to invest, whether it's our time, whether it's our money, whether it's in our relationships, we're all looking to see a return on our lives. Maybe you're looking for the next Amazon or Bitcoin to invest, but we want something in return for the things that we spend our life giving, don't we? But if you're like me, maybe you've figured out that human investments, whether they're money, time, other things, can have a mixed bag of results. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But I want to talk this morning about the kind of investment that's different. I want to talk about the kind of investment that has massive guaranteed returns. Returns for now, returns for eternity, returns for you, and returns for the people around you. This morning I want to talk to you about what it means to be a kingdom investor. And so here's a reading for you, which was in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, if you've got your Bibles. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Today's reading is from Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. So the context is this. Jesus tells a whole bunch of parables. And if you don't know what a parable is, it's literally a story with some meaning. And in this little set of parables that Jesus tells, he's talking all about the nature of the kingdom of the God. The kingdom of God that is current, that is present, arrived in Jesus, but also the kingdom of God which will fully arrive one day when Jesus returns. And in this parable, we read about a rich businessman Somebody who needs to go on a long distance trip for some time. And because there's no internet banking, because there's no online stock trading or whatever it might be, he decides to split up his wealth, his gold, and he gives it to three of his servants to look after. And that one day he would return, he says, to ask what they have done with what they've been given. Now, if you've been around church for a while, if you've you know, been a Christian for a bit, you've probably read this parable before. And it doesn't take too much to recognize who the characters are in the story of this parable, right? Okay, just checking we're all awake this morning. So the rich businessman in the parable is, come on guys, anyone? Jesus. The answer is always Jesus in church, in case you're wondering. Just say Jesus and you'll be fine. Okay, Uh, Jesus is the rich businessman who is going away on a trip and trusts his wealth to, and who does he entrust his wealth to? Us, thank you, that was kind of easier, to his followers. And he says to them, I am going to give you money, resources, time, talent, whatever it might be, in order that one day when I return, when I have come back from heaven to earth, I will ask you, what did you do with the things that were given you? And this gives us this morning the shape of kingdom investing, which we're going to look at. Um, And I want to start straight up by saying this. We need to understand, before we can even get into this, that everything we have comes from God. Everything is God's and he gives to us. Um, Okay, another shout out. I feel like it's gone a bit gray, so we're going to have to do a bit of shouting out and helping each other this morning. Okay, what's the most valuable possession that you own? It doesn't have to be like monetary, but what's the most valuable thing that you've got? Oh, so spiritual in the front row. Okay, go on. Sorry, Mark. Uh, PlayStation. PlayStation. (laughs) That's more like it. Go on, PlayStation, if you're online, was what he said. Uh, anyone else? Time? Car. That's what I like, yes. Anything else? Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, if you've got 7,002 Bitcoin, you can win on that one. Okay, yeah, we're told all the time, aren't we? We live in a world which says things like, you know, you are what you own. 
You are what you wear. You are what you drive. You are where you live. You are where your kids go to school. You know, if we see somebody in society who is rich, we assume you know they have made it. They're the ones who are smarter, more worthy, more intelligent, more morally upstanding than the rest of us somehow, because it's all about what you have. When in fact, if you look at the Bible, the view that we get about money, possessions, all that kind of stuff is actually incredibly different from that idea. If you look at 1 Chronicles 29 verses 11 to 16, it says this. Um, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Now, that seems a little bit unfair at first glance because you're like, well, hold on a minute. If I don't go to work in the morning, if I don't do anything, then ultimately I come home with nothing because no one is going to pay me to do nothing. But then it goes on in verse 17. You may say to yourself... My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You know, I think all the time, right? Like, why is it that I got to grow up in places like Hong Kong and in the United Kingdom? Why is it that I had, you know, family who were able to feed me and send me to school and look after me and provide for me? You know, why is it that I didn't grow up in a ghetto or in a slum or in a war zone? You know, I had so much. You know, Laura and I, we got our vaccines a couple of weeks back. We were all vaccinated, and that's absolutely fantastic. And it's amazing to live in somewhere like LA where we all have free access to the vaccine. Um, Laura and I have a little kind of compassion sponsor child who is in Kenya, and he's nearly 18 years old. But we found out that he and his whole family are not going to get the vaccine for a very long time. There is they have no future understanding of when they might be able to live in a world without the direct impacts of coronavirus. You know, if you were to line up all the people on earth who've ever lived, the billions of people have ever lived on earth, you, know, you and I, we are at the most rich, blessed end of the spectrum. And it's not because, you know, might have a nice car or live in a nice house or have a bank account full of money. We're at that end of the spectrum on the basis of we have access to education. We have access to water. We have access to healthcare. You know, people actually look out for us. We are so incredibly and utterly blessed. You know, God has blessed us more than we ever understand, more than we ever recognize, even if our bank accounts and everything else don't seem to display the kind of blessedness that we long for. So everything comes from God. It's a free gift. His goodness comes to us before we even think about anything else. Everything comes from God, but it's not just that everything comes from God for our best life. It's actually that everything comes to God, from God to us for a purpose. And the purpose that it comes to us is so that we might join in and be a kingdom um, investor. Um, there is a purpose to what God has given us. If you know the story of Abraham in the Bible, in the Old Testament, he becomes you know, the father of the Jewish nation, the precursor of Christianity. And God says to him, I'm going to bless you. you know, I'm going to bless you more than you can even imagine. You know, you're going to have like, more descendants than stars in the sky. But then he says this little phrase. He says, basically, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. The purpose of the blessing that you will receive is not just for you, it is so that you might be a blessing to others. And we see it. It's a demonstrated for us in this parable this morning. Okay, so first two guys in the story. The rich ruler, businessman guy, he says to them, okay, here's what I have. And the first one he says to them, right, five bags of gold. Now, I wish I had five bags of gold. I'm a pastor. I don't have any bags of gold, but I do have one potato 
This is, is pastor-level analogy. Okay. So the, the rich businessman, he takes his five bags of gold and he gives it. I'm going to throw it to Regis. Regis, what's your catching like? Nice. Okay. And because Regis is such a kingdom investor, he takes and does something amazing with the one potato bag of gold that he has, and he gets a return, which means that now he has not just one, but two potatoes. Incredible. Incredible. It's like a magic trick. Amazing. Okay, Regis has made a 100% return on investment, right? He's doubled what he was given. In the, the second guy comes along, and the, the, business, the business guy says, okay, right, here is two bags of gold, gives it away, and one day he returns, and we find out that this man has taken the two, and he's added another two, that there's been a kingdom investment, there's been a growth on what he's invested, that he's doubled what he was given, and then we read these words about these first two sermons. Servants, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So come, share in your master's happiness. I love that. I love that little phrase. It's not just because it was the very last words that my grandfather ever heard when he was on, the, on earth. But what we understand is that God has given us things and that one day he is going to come back and ask us what we did. One day when we stand in front of the creator of the universe, he will say to us, hey Ben, you know, what did you do with the gifts and the talents and the money and the time and the energy that you had? Did you do anything or did you do nothing? So what does it even mean to have a kingdom investment? Well, we, last week we talked about what is the mission of God on earth. We talked about the things that God cares about. We talked about what it means to see people come to faith. We talked about lives being transformed and baptisms and salvations. We talked about the poor being fed and the hungry and the lost and the least. We talked about justice on the earth. We talked about care of creation, the marks of mission in scripture. That's what it means that one day God will say to you, hey, Ben, you know, I gave you all this stuff. Did you invest in my kingdom? Did you see my kingdom come on earth? And we see this kind of really strange sense, which kind of like butts up against our like kind of more Protestant understanding of salvation, which seems to imply that when we get in front of God, that one day there will be a kingdom impact. There will be an eternal um, consequence of how we have invested what he did on earth. I don't think it's like you didn't do enough, you're not coming into heaven, but there is this sense of building up treasures in heaven to do with what we did on earth. So we are to do something with us. But before you think, okay, this is awful. It's like, what a terrible sermon. I'm really not enjoying this this morning at all. This just sounds really condemning. Let me tell you three reasons why I think this is an incredibly positive way to think about our time and our money and our energy and resources and all those things. The first one is this, is that actually when we see ourselves as kingdom investors, it changes our hearts. It changes our hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but all these things like money and possessions, they can be so stressful. Like all the time, right? Am I gonna have enough? Do I have enough? Can I keep up with the Joneses? Can I make rent? Can I pay my mortgage? Will I have enough food to eat? You know, do I have the right stuff? We can be overwhelmed with this sense of not having enough all the time. Like, it, what do I need to do? And the consequence of feeling like that is we end up like grabbing onto stuff, right? It's like closed fist stuff. Like I have just got to hold onto the stuff I have so tightly because if I don't grab onto it, if I don't hold onto it, then it might get away. And we find ourselves just so anxious and so stressed out all the time. Well, well, actually, the Bible gives us a totally different way of thinking about uh, money and giving. In the Old Testament of the Bible, when God is instituting the people of Israel, he says to them this kind of concept of tithing. Now, tithing is just a word that means a tenth. But effectively, what would happen is that the Israelites would 
come to the time of harvest because most of them were farmers in the land. And they would get to this place of harvest and they would bring in the first and the best tenth of their, their income, their possessions, and they would bring it to the temple like the precursor of the church. And some of it would go to literally pay for you know, priests to have food and to pay for the running costs of the temple. Some of it would go to care for the orphan, the lost, the lonely, the widow. Some of it would literally just be burnt. It was like a burnt offering. Um, I don't know how you would feel this morning if you brought in a $20 note, put it in the offering, and somebody literally just lit it up in front of you. Um, Might not go very well. You might not give another $20 next week. I don't know. But that's what they did. And particularly that third bit was there to remind the people of what giving is always about. You know, we sometimes think, oh man, we have to give to churches and all this kind of stuff because God doesn't have enough money. Like God needs our money. If we don't give, then you know, the kingdom of God will run out of cash. Well, here's the thing, right? God does not need your money. God, the creator of the universe, is not short of a little bit of money. He's the one who created gold and diamonds, in case you wondered. But what this idea of tithing meant is it put the people into a place of dependency on God. It basically was a way of the people of God saying, we do not have enough. We are not enough. We are not in control. We are not in charge. And so we are going to put ourselves in a place of dependency to you, God, recognizing that as we do this, you can change us, that you can free us, that we ultimately are not the ones who can take care of ourselves. We need you to take care of us. It was a symbolic act of dependency of God. You know, and we go, well, hold on a minute. Yeah, we don't live in the Old Testament. That was, new. That was all about you know, rules and all that kind of law stuff. We don't like it. We like grace. We like to be free. And of course, that's right to some extent. But you know, you ask, like, what did Jesus say about this? Now, Jesus turns up, right? Into, he's a Jewish man in the context of tithing. He turns up and he tells a story like this. He says, okay, then one day this rich guy walks into the temple with his tithe, his big sacks of gold, and he puts it down looking really smug and he walks out and he goes home. Then this woman comes in with two coins, a widow. She's got almost nothing. She puts it down in in the temple and goes home. Which one of the two is actually offering sacrifice of worship? And of course, the answer is the widow is offering a sacrifice of worship. Why? Because it's 100% of what she's got. You know, the rich guy, he's just like 10% nothing to him. The widow gives everything she's got. She puts herself in the place of absolute dependence on the creator of the universe, knowing that he will provide for her. You know, Jesus says things like, gosh, it's harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You know, really tough, hard things. The, the love of money is the root of all evil. All this stuff. Why? Because ultimately we recognize that there's this sort of two options. One is we're in charge. We have enough. We will be independent of everyone else. And the other one is God's in charge. God has enough and he will provide. When we tithe, when we give, it's not actually about funding things. It's about us recognizing our dependence. It's about us worshiping. It's about saying, I am not enough. I will not be able to provide for myself, but you can do amazing things in my heart. And that is so freeing. That is so freeing. When you turn that conversation upside down, you realize it isn't mine. It isn't just for me. It's for you. Then it changes the whole conversation. So first up, it changes us. The next thing is that kingdom investors actually changes the world around us. And I think from times, isn't it amazing that the creator of the universe would pick us to be on his team, right? Like God, as we say often here at Vintage, does not need us, but God chooses us. Like God does not need our stuff or our time and our money, but yet he picks us to be on his team, to have a place in his kingdom. Now, I think 
from time to time about the people who've changed my life, particularly in a kingdom sense. I think about you know, the youth pastor who I had when I was a teenager who used to cook us pizza and you know, take us out to the movies and take us on mission trips. I think about the student pastor who I had when I was in like, college who used to just buy us coffees and we'd talk about the Bible and things like that. And I, and I realized I'm so grateful for those two people. But actually behind those people were two things going on. On one hand, were this group of very quiet, very unflustered, very unfussed group of tithing people, you know, who just gave quietly. They probably never knew the impact of what they were doing in the world, but they gave so that the church could employ these people and my life could be transformed. And on the other hand, was this incredible uh, group of volunteers, you know, who cooked the pizza, who took us, drove us to the movies, you know, who made the coffee, all of that kind of stuff. They were going on. Now, those were just quiet, sacrificial, non-fussy acts. But between them, it changed my life. You know, when we had Gina and Caroline's baptism here on Easter Sunday, I knew it was going to be a massively exciting moment. But one of the reasons I was so excited, and I told the setup team and the pack-down teams and the welcome teams, I said, when we have our first baptisms, we need to cheer we need to celebrate because it's not that like one or two of us got to tell Gina and Caroline and the others the story of the kingdom. No, we all got to play a part. You know, when the, when the setup team put out the chairs and made a lovely space so that those people could come to church or when the welcome team welcomed them or when the worship team led them in worship or when the alpha team told them about Jesus or when the V-Kids team looked after kids, or whatever it might be, we all played a part. Here at Vintage, get to play a part in people's lives being transformed. It's amazing, right? No, it is amazing. Like, it is, it's, ama- it's amazing. You know, here, here at Vintage, we have such a big vision. I have a huge vision. I know the last year has been really funky and weird, but I have, you know, I'm just so excited by the stories like Gina's and Caroline's that we're going to encounter over the years to come. I'm so excited that over the years to come, we're going to see lives transformed. You know, Pete Gregg, who's a very famous speaker and author and, you know, heads up 24-7 prayer and all these kind of things, he prophesied over us the week before we started Vintage Pasadena. He said, Ben, you need to know that whole family trees will be rewritten through the ministry of Vintage Pasadena. It's like, oh my goodness, isn't that an amazing thing to say? But it, it's costly, you know, in a week's time, we're launching Alpha. We have amazing food in someone's garden, free dinner. We're going to put on a movie glass of wine. It's going to be amazing. We're, next week, as Laura said, we're starting V Kids Up. We're starting V Youth Up. Um, in a few next few months, we want to hire again the, the auditorium that's just across from where I'm sitting so that we can all gather inside as it gets a bit too hot to be outside. All of these things are coming. And the exec team met this week and we put together our first draft of our budget for next year. And guess what? We don't have the money. We don't have the money for those things. They're way beyond our current level of giving and anything like that. But I have no problem ever saying to our church members, come and be part of this story. Come and put in your tithe. Come and give your best of your time. Why? Because I know that lives will be transformed as we do that. I know there's nothing more exciting than when we get to be a part in seeing other people's lives transformed. It's amazing when we get to do that. You know, when we think about blessing, I think sometimes we see ourselves almost as like a lake of blessing. As charismatics, we say, God, would you fill that person full of your spirit? Or would you fill me full of your spirit? And what we're kind of almost implying is, God, we just need 
more and more and more and more of you. And we think that when we get so much blessing in our life, at some point it's going to overflow out of us and transform the world around us. When in fact the picture that we're given for blessing is not that God wants you to be a lake of blessing or a pond of blessing uh, or a small body of water of blessing. Actually, the, the picture that God has for you for blessing is that he wants you to be a river of blessing. That as Abraham was a blessing to be a blessing, he wants you to be a conduit of blessing from God through you to the world. That is how we find our identity and blessing. Everything God has ever given you wasn't actually for you. Sorry about the PlayStation. Like It was for the world. It was to transform the lives of people around us. And that is exciting. You know, that's why I, have, I love being a pastor, because lives are transformed as we get to play a part in God's kingdom. But then the final thing is this, is that it's not just that Giving changes our hearts, generosity changes our hearts, generosity changes us. But actually being a kingdom investor actually changes our situations as well. It changes our situations. Um, Malachi 3.10, which many of you will know, says this. In a time in uh, Israel's history when you know, it was a real mess, when there was very uncertain, we didn't know what was going to happen, uh, Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse storehouse that there may be food in my house test me in this says the lord almighty and see if i will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it now some people have taken this passage and turned it into the prosperity gospel just to warn you they've basically said if you put like ten dollars in the collection of a offering of a church it will turn into a thousand dollars like bitcoin um it's a nice idea Uh, It might not be exactly what this passage is really about, to be honest. But what it does absolutely fundamentally tell us that this is the one place in the Bible where we are told to lean into God and put our test, to test him, to put our full weight on him. Like, you know, God does not say, go and stand out in the road and, and pray that the car won't hit you. That's not what the Bible says. But it absolutely does say that in the area of our finances, we are supposed to be in the place of absolute dependence to God. And when we put ourselves in the place of dependence to God, It says this, see if I will not throw open the floodgates, back to that picture of a river, and pour out so much blessing that you will not be able to store it. Um, Now, before you think this is just nice theory and the pastor trying to get some money for the church or whatever, I want to tell you that this is actually real. This actually really works. Um, And I shared a story with you, and some of you have heard it many times, and I'm sorry for that, but I just, you know, it's, it's our story, so that's how it works. When I, was, um, when I was 13, my parents gave me an allowance. It was one of the most exciting days of my life. We'd had pocket money, you know, probably like 20 cents, probably. Um, but then we had an allowance, and it meant that we didn't just buy, you know, sweets or candy. We, we bought, like, our own clothes. We had to pay to go to the movies. We had to do all that stuff. But part of the deal with getting an allowance was that there was one jam jar that went onto the windowsill of my bedroom, which was the giving jam jar. And before we were allowed to spend any money, a tenth every week of our money had to go into this. And then every week when the church offering came around, we put our money in. And it, and it was just, it was symbolic. It was tiny amounts of money. But it really birthed the seed in me about like, what it means to be a giver. So when I went to college, uh, I arrived at college, and suddenly when you get to college, you have money. You never had money, real amounts of money before. Um, let's just be honest, it's just debt. You sort of get there and you're like, wow, I have, I have money for beer. Well, I thought, well, if I'm going to use this money to buy beer, then I probably should tithe with it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to tithe my student loan. And so I did. And then after the end of college, like Laura and I, we, we got married. And we thought, well, 
okay, we have two salaries now. We want to say in our marriage, we will tie. This is going to be part of our story. And so we gave, you know, tenth of our income every month. Now, I'll be totally honest with you, it was easy. It was totally easy. You know, we both had professional salaries. We both had good jobs. A tenth that disappeared at the beginning of the month before we'd ever done anything with it, it hardly touched the sides of our life. It was, it was easy. Until I finished my business career and went to seminary. Because when you go to seminary in the UK, the kind of deal is you stop your career. Like, stop. No business dealings, no income from anywhere. You give it all up. And in exchange, the, the national church just gives you a little bit of money to live off each month. And I thought, that's fine. It must work. It'll be totally okay. Until I realized that the amount of money that the church was offering to give us was exactly the same to the dollar, pound, as our monthly mortgage payments. That was it. There was no difference. Which meant, okay, I'm like, okay, well, we'll have a house. And we've got a bit of savings. So beans and rice, half house. We'll trust God for the rest. Again, no big problem. The big problem came when we went to look at our giving. So I went on our internet banking and I looked at, you know, by that point we were tithing to the church and we were supporting this child in Kenya and other missionaries around the world. And it was super exciting. But then I thought, well, what do we do? You know, do I write to my child in Kenya and say, I'm so sorry, like, it's, we're not, you're not going to get this, any, this month. Now, I'm not telling you what to do because what I, we logically should have done is just said a tenth is a tenth and that's what we're going to do. But I just felt, as I went to change those monthly amounts on our internet banking, I just felt God, and that exact moment, just go, stop. Just wait. And I thought, well, God, I, you know, I, I'm stuck. It's like, I cannot, redu- can I not reduce our giving? Because if I don't reduce our giving, we are done. Like, I had not even told Laura by that point. So, but I thought, well, okay, I'm going to leave it a month and see what happens. And I thought, if it goes really wrong, I'll have to say to Laura, I'm really sorry I screwed it up. We've got no money. Anyway, a month came past. Did we run out of money? No way. We were fine. Two months came past. Run out of money? No, we had even more money. In fact, after a few months of college, I realized that we had so much money coming in that we could not only pay our mortgage once, we could actually double pay our mortgage. For two years, the first two years of seminary, we double paid our mortgage, and, and even we started to receive so much money started to come in, not through like just you know, cash through the, the mailbox, but through grants and people writing to us saying, oh, you could apply for this amount of money and this amount of money from this group or whatever. That after two years of college, we'd saved so much money that I had to sit down with Laura and say, like, we've got a really serious problem here. Our bank account is now full of so much cash. I don't know what to do with it. And so we basically came to the only conclusion we could possibly come to is like, we better start increasing our giving to all these different organizations and find new organizations to give to. Now that was fine until I finished seminary. Because when I finished seminary, I went off to be the pastor of, in three different churches in England. And Laura finished work, all those little pots of money that we'd had access to finished. And there, were, there I was in this new church with a little tiny salary charged with giving the giving talk. There I was. And I thought, oh no, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to stand in front of this group of people and say that you can't be more generous than God because God's more generous than you. And I have almost no income right now. So I can't really do that and reduce my giving In fact, I can't even really do that and keep my giving the same because the whole point of giving the the talk was because the church was about to go through a massive funding giving program for doing their roof and things like that. I thought the only thing I can possibly do is stand up in front of like this number of hundreds of people and tell them that we need to give more. And so I stood up in front of them like three or four years ago with no possibility of ever making it work and just said, guys, we need to give up our giving and I'm going to give more. Laura and I are going to tithe more. And guess what? God came through. 
There has never been a moment in our lives where God did not provide. I could continue this story year after year after year after year. I could tell you about how God has miraculously provided for us in ways that we didn't even ever think was possible. God has never allowed us to be without. Why? Because God is more generous than I am. Because God is better than I am. Because God has higher kingdom values than I have. And I means this, I can never outgive God. No amount of my time, no amount of my money that I can ever give away in the river of blessing to others will ever match what God can pour into my life. You know, Rick Warren, who is a very famous pastor, right? He wrote The Purpose Driven Life. He said um, in a talk a while back, he said, you know, when you write a book like The Purpose Driven Life, you become incredibly wealthy. But he says, I believe the only reason that God ever allowed that to happen in my life at that point is that by that point, I had committed to give away 95% of my income. Now, let me just be honest with you. I am not at the 95% level. <laughs> like, I'm much closer to the other end, <laughs> if I'm really honest. I'm not there. But I am absolutely committed with Laura that every year, I want to give a little bit more than I gave last year. Like, whether I can see it, whether I can afford it, whether or not it makes any financial sense or to our accountant or our financial advisors, I just am committed to give a little bit more than I gave last year. Because I want to build the muscles of faith. Because I want to see the blessings that God wants to pour out in the world through us. I want to be part of the river that he wants to build of blessing. Right? A month, month or two, three months ago, maybe now, our gym reopened. And I know you can't tell yet. I know. Maybe one day. Right? And the first time I went back to the gym after a year, I, I just, I, I was a mess, right? You know, you go to the gym, never, not done any exercise. You look at all the weights that you used to lift and you look at the cross trainer that you used to, to go on and went for it and, and it just hurt, right? It was horrible. <laughs> but what do you do, of course, is you go back after a few days of forgetting about the pain. You go back and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And as you do it, what happens is you start to build up resilience. You start to build up muscles. You realize, oh, I can do a little bit more. I don't believe that one day Rick Warren got up and went, I'm going to give 95% of my income away. That's how it's going to work. I don't believe that at all. I believe that probably he went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and he just kept going and building the muscles. You know, people ask me all the time, okay, Ben, right, you're a pastor. How much money? How much do I have to give? Like, right, what's a tithe? Is it gross? Is it net? What if I'm in debt? What if I'm a student? What, do you, what am I supposed to do? It's, and the question is almost really like, what's the least that I can give of my money so that I don't upset God or you? Really, that's the question. When in fact, like, actually, you, it's just the wrong question, isn't it? The, que the answer to the question that I give to everybody now is, well, how much money should you give? You should give until it hurts. You should. You should give until it hurts. Because if it doesn't hurt, I'm not entirely sure that it actually really fulfills the criteria of what God is trying to achieve in your life by teaching you about dependence and blessing and all of those things. Right? I think that's how it's supposed to work. Um, if you go back to the Old Testament of the Bible again, you know, King David one day is massive mess. It's all gone wrong in the kingdom and, and, and of God and the kingdom of Israel. And so he knows he needs to have this whole big time of national repentance and mourning and, and worship. And so he gets one of his guys, this guy called Arana, and he says, right, go and arrange this big burnt offering. We're going to have one of these big worship burn-ups. And uh, so Arana says, yeah, no worries. Here is, here's all the grain. Here's everything you need. It's all yours. You're the king. Use all my stuff. And King David, famously, he says this. The king replied to Arana, no, 
No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Right? If it's worship, it's supposed to hurt a little bit because as it hurts, we build the muscles. We build the capacity. We allow God to transform our lives. And it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, I, I give this talk with a smile on my face because I know what God can do in your life and my life. And that's why I want to finish with just a little challenge to you. Because I've, I've racked my brains for so long thinking, okay, how do, we, how do we talk about this in church without it sounding like the church just needs your money and you know, it's just about churches getting money? Well, we want to do this because we want to help you to get into this, this thing. And I will say straight up, if you don't want to give to this vintage because you don't believe in the, vision, in the vintage, then that's absolutely fine. Let me tell you about some brilliant pastors who run brilliant organizations who you could tie to. But if you are part of this church, if this is home for you, then I do want to give you this challenge. If you go to vintagepasadena.com forward slash giving, you will see a brand new section under there called the three-month giving challenge. And basically, what is this? It is a money-back guarantee for giving. A money-back guarantee. Basically, it's this. If you go on that website and you fill in that form and commit to give an amount of money, and it might be a scary amount of money, it probably will only really work if it's something that you're going to feel not having for the next three months, that money, that form, will go to the Vintage Santa Monica office they are going to put that money aside in a special pot. And if, if God does not provide for you, if God does not bless you, if that thing that you have given up, God does not return to you in some way, not saying just dollar for dollar, but if God doesn't bless you in, through your giving, you can send one text, one email to Santa Monica and they will give it back. Straight up. No questions asked. We promise we will not even touch that money. But the reason we're doing it is not some fad. We're trying to get you to see that as you give, God will do something. He will. And I believe in three months' time, we're going to have some amazing stories to tell. We've done this elsewhere before. And the stories that come through of God's provision and blessing are absolutely incredible. And so I want to, I want to invite you and I want to challenge you. It might be that you know, you're you know, just brand new to Christianity, brand new to this idea of giving, and you've, you've never done any sort of giving before. It might be that you're the 10% guy, and you've been the 10% guy for years, but, but the 10%, to be honest, doesn't really touch the sides anymore. Um, so I want to encourage you. We're going we're gonna to pray, um, and then we will take a few moments just to take up an offering, and if you want to check out that website, you can check out that website, because we really want to encourage us to be part of this amazing story that God wants to build um, on the earth. So let's pray together.